This episode is brought to you by Morty, Rizova, Recon, and Patreon supporters like you. Supporting our sponsors supports our work. This year, we're hosting Recon, the Reality Escape Convention, virtually, so that we can bring our entire global community together. Our team has decided to alternate one year in person, one year virtual, and this year, we are doing it online. We had such a fantastic time at the first in-person Recon. And we wanted to make sure that our friends from around the world who maybe couldn't manage to come in person are still able to enjoy Recon with all of the variety of speakers and guests that we have. And that's exactly what we're doing. Recon has a variety of ticket types to meet your needs. And the basic ticket is free. No tricks. We want our global community at Recon, and we hope to see each and every one of you there August 19th and 20th, 2023. You can learn more at realityescapecon.com. Details in the show notes. Tickets are on sale now. Welcome to the Reality Escape Pod, your lifeline when you need a getaway from the real world. I'm David Spira, alongside my co-host, PG Law. Together, we're exploring immersive gaming from all angles, and we'll be joined by guests who really know their stuff. Today's guest is Joel Head of Headlock Escape Rooms in Norwich, England. Joel, along with his wife, Janae, are the creators of the incredible virtual escape game, The Keeper and the Fungus Among Us, and its upcoming prequel, The Rise of the Fungi. Blending funk, puzzles, and puppets, this game remains one of the finest escape experiences that you can have from your home. Welcome, Joel. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Very excited to be here. We're very excited to have you. Big fan. Thank you. I'm a big fan of both of yours as well. You are too kind. And first of all, you have a newborn, which is why Janae isn't with us today. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm exhausted, but it's fun. Obi is adorable. I don't have to uh, do all the work, but see in the photos, real cute. Wait, your <laughs> baby's is. name is Obi, as in Obi-Wan Kenobi? So his full name is Oberon, but we okay. shortened it to Obi. So Oberon, is that from Shakespeare? It is a Mr. Nice Dream, but we are uneducated heathens, so we didn't know that whenever we found the name. We loved it so much whenever we saw it, because it actually means royal bear in like ancient German or something like that. Royal bear? <laughs> yeah. We wanted to name him Bear first, but then we were like, what if he becomes bald later and Bearhead isn't a very good name for a bald person? Um, <laughs> so we were like, we need to find a different name. I asked my dad what my name meant once, and he said it meant miraculous herb. And I was like, really? And then I, I was like, well, I was in high school when I was deep into my pot smoking days. And I was like, oh, this is fantastic. I got to be honest. I feel like that is a really good lead into this episode. What a segue. Let's dive into this. I want to set the scene. In the fall of 2021, I was very burnt out on virtual escape rooms. I was pretty much only playing them when multiple people were raving about a specific game. And even still, I usually needed some persuading. The Keeper and the Fungus Among Us was a game that I could not ignore. So many people were talking about it. And 
a few seconds in, it thawed my heart. Puppets, music, dioramas, a narrative through line, it hit on every level for me. And since then, I have told so many people to play it. And describing it is always a bit of a trip. Mm -hmm. How do you explain your own creation to people? Uh, Well, we usually just say it's a puppet musical escape game adventure. And even if you try to describe it in every single detail, it's still hard for people to picture it or to even know what to expect. So yeah, it is very hard to explain. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad it's not just me. I'm usually good at explaining things. (laughs) It is delightful, though. It is really reminiscent of some of my favorite movies from the 80s. There's the puppets. It's got a little bit of the labyrinth feel to it. For me, there's a very kind of nostalgic feeling when I play it, I guess, with maybe it's like seeing little puppets. It brings me back to Mr. Rogers. I don't know. (laughs) Let's actually start there. You have been running this game for so many people across so many cultures. It feels to me like it's a combination of Mr. Rogers and Rocky Horror and Zelda with funk layered on top. But I have to imagine that depending upon where you're from and the age you are, the cultural comparisons have to change a lot. Is that something you've been seeing? Yeah, absolutely. It's not even that. It's just pretty much whenever anyone new plays the game, they bring up something else that we've never even heard of that it reminds them of. So like, it does feel very nostalgic for people, but it's different for every single person. No one can actually pinpoint what it reminds them of. And I think it's because we were inspired by so many different things that we just threw everything into a melting pot. And that's what came out. Whenever Canadians play, there's, I think there's a show called like Big Friendly Giant or something like that. That's like a Mr. Rogers thing. He does puppets and hand puppets and things like that. It's all puppet related kids show sort of things. Every single country, every single person and team have a different thing to compare it to, which has been kind of cool for us. Probably one of the reasons it's been so popular is you're able to impose your own cultural not expectations, but, you know, drawing from your childhood, it reminds you, it brings you back to certain things. And it's great that it's different for different people. And it's not a specific reference. It's just a general feeling. So when your game came out, it really made a big splash. And to be honest, we were like, who are these people? Like (laughs) the first thing that they presented to us is so incredible. And it is just such a complete product. And so we were wondering, how did all of this start? What's the origin story for The Keeper and the Fungus Among Us? We were wanting to open an escape room before the pandemic happened. And so we were looking at buildings. We're about to open up a brick and mortar store. We knew that there was going to be a lockdown coming. So we changed our plans to doing deliverable tabletop games. We even built a full room that we can take down and full walls. It's a full escape game that we could basically just unbolt and bolt back together. Wait, so when you meant like a full wall, like you were building an escape room in like a container or something that you could take around to different places? Yeah, it would pack up into our van and we can take it wherever we wanted to. That was the plan. I thought you meant like a tabletop escape room, but you're talking about like a full room. We had some of those too. So the Mystic Ruins was our big room that we were going to be taking around. So then the lockdown happened and we were like, okay, how are we going to do this? So we started seeing people making online games. So we were like, all right, let's just set this up in our house and run this in our house. The Mystic Ruins was actually our first game that got us going on online. And so we had a lot of great reviews from that. We had a lot of players in the UK play through that. And we were like, well, we need to make something new. And we wanted something that was going to be like this big epic adventure. We wanted to make it more 
just made for online play. We needed to be made for Zoom. And we're like, everything that we have is run out of our house. So it has to be in a spare bedroom. It has to be contained in there. So we're like, okay, let's just shrink everything to small. Let's just make everything into a diorama. So then that was like, all right, well, all the characters have to be puppets. Everything just has to be much smaller. And then we were like, let's just make it into a musical. Why not? So we just threw everything together. What made you decide to go musical? Do you have a musical background? Yeah, I used to be a music teacher, actually, before we started doing all the escape room stuff. I've been playing guitar and trombone and drums and anything I could get my hands on since I was a kid. So, yeah. All of the music production is you? Are there anyone else involved? Uh, And Janae, she'll jump in and sing on some things. But yeah, it's just the two of us. Wow. And what is Janae's background? She's actually a nurse, but she's also very musical as well. We actually both met at the band camp dance when we were 13 years old. Um, Met at band camp. (laughs) Yeah, met at band camp. (laughs) This one time. She is also an artist and she paints a whole lot and sculpts. And it was just this weird mashup of all of the things that we know how to do and just threw it all together in this game. So you mentioned that she paints and sculpts. Was she the one who was producing the dioramas and the puppets? Basically everything that you see during the game, she made. All the puppets she made. There's a few like little 3D printed things here and there that I did. I just did everything that you can't see. Wow. It's <laughs> awesome. At the start of the pandemic, I had written a piece on Room Escape Artist where I had suggested that if I were an escape room operator, what I would be looking to do right now is make a deliberately designed experience for the internet in my basement or in a spare room and do something small scale. It doesn't matter if it's breakable. You're the only person who's handling it. Right. And when I put that out into the world, I really thought that was going to catch on as a norm. And I got to admit, it didn't really happen much. There were a couple of companies. Isolation did that. I mean, most people probably didn't want to make a whole new experience. They just wanted to adapt the ones they already did. Yeah. But the games that ended up having a lot of staying power for the most part in the virtual space were the ones that were built deliberately for it. That's true. I would say the two games that I would still recommend to people to play now, even though most things are open and up and running, would be your game and then also Project Avatar. Mm -hmm. And you guys are like wildly on opposite ends of the spectrum, right? (laughs) You know, Project Avatar, we interviewed Tasha, the creator, on season four. And so they are a virtual escape room, but they went the opposite direction. They went huge. And again, this is something you probably couldn't do in real life. You know, run through this gigantic, crazy bunker, parkouring and breaking stuff. (laughs) And so it's fascinating to see that you guys went the opposite. You went small and charming. Yeah. Well, awesome. I'm way too out of shape to do what they do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's a really short list of the games that still exist that are worth playing in the virtual space. It's Keeper in the Fungus Among Us. It's Project Avatar. It's The Beast and the Exorcist. Mm -hmm. And then Pursuit of the Assassin Artist. We had one of the creators of that, Sarah Zhang, on season two. So I guess at this point, we're going to have to have the folks from The Beast and the Exorcist on. Yeah. All of those are fantastic games. Yeah. All of those were also like big inspirations for us too. They really broke the mold on what they were doing online. So things like the video cutaways or using the way Project Avatar is like a video game and the way that Assassin Artist, the way that they use improv talking to each other. We were like, how can we 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. In the time loop, how can we bring in these little things, but also just make it into this cutesy, fun puppet game? Because those were the aspects of things we love. Miss Jezebel, like being able to just talk with a person and then have them improv over what you're asking them. It's just makes what a, a virtual game. Yeah, I agree with you. And there was a lot of magic that you bottled up and didn't just bottle it. You brewed it into your own thing. We're taking a moment to thank our sponsor, Morty. Morty is a free app for discovering, planning, tracking, and reviewing your escape rooms and other immersive social outings. And Morty is now available for all to use on its brand new web experience, in addition to its fantastic iPhone app. I believe in Morty so much that I have a stake in it as an advisor. So David, how do you use Morty? I am all about that wish list. I am always being recommended games by people. So many people, whenever they find something amazing, they're shooting me a message and saying, hey, have you played? Or I haven't seen a review from Room Escape Artist. And on top of that, we now have all of these other writers writing for us. Many of them are going out into the world and finding wonderful games. I need to keep track of all of that. And Morty is the absolute easiest way for me to do that. So when we are going to a particular city, I pull up the app, I throw in a filter, take a look at what's already on my wish list. And then the other thing that I do is I really like to go and check out the rings for the various games in a given city and find the ones that are singing to me, the ones that look like they're popular or maybe a little bit polarizing. I love both. What do you mean by rings? The rating rings, blue, yellow and red rings that show kind of a heat map of how popular they are in the app. Red is when someone flags a game as they loved it. Yellow, they gave it a thumbs up and blue, a thumbs down. You can learn more at MortyApp.com slash Repod. That's R-E-P-O-D to sign up and get a special badge for our listeners. Link and details are in the show notes. There are a number of remarkable components to The Keeper and the Fungus Among Us. The music, the dioramas, the puppets, the tech, the puzzles, the story. Who was responsible for each part and how did you bring all of that together into a singular experience? A lot of the ideas just came one after the other. So we started with that basic thing of, all right, everything is just going to be small. And we also liked just the general aesthetic of mushrooms. We thought we could make it really cute. We could make it really funky. I was also listening to this band called Wolfpeck. Oh, they're fantastic. Really awesome funk band. They're amazing. So I was like, everything has to have a funky feel to it. We knew that there would have to be segues to where I would have to be able to change the sets in and out. But the only way that you could do that if there was a cutaway scene. But it can't just be a boring cutaway scene. It has to have some cool music or something with it. Janae did basically all of the art aspect. We talked about what we wanted to look like. We designed the puzzles together. And that in itself was a whole different beast, designing the puzzles for a game like this. How big is each diorama set? So they are 30 inches by 30 inches, almost two and a half feet. Yeah. We did a spoilers club 
episode with you and Janae for our Patreon community a while back now. Mm -hmm. In it, we learned that you have six scenes, two stages, a camera on a track, and it's all running through OBS for streaming software. All of this is operated solely by you. Mm -hmm. What are the logistics of juggling this whole operation? There's a lot of patting your head and rubbing your stomach sort of a thing. So yeah, my left hand always plays the keeper. So he is pretty much always in the set. My right hand is always tapping buttons for the videos or pulling strings or flipping switches, things like that. There's a lot of things going on, especially if you've played the game. There's a fight scene where you're telling me which mushrooms to attack. And then there's this little board that moves up and down. And yeah, that whole scene is... It's crazy. It took a long time to figure out how we were going to make this a one-man show. Okay, so you run this all by yourself. Yeah. No Janae in the background. There's no background support or tech or stagehand or anything like that. No, it's all me. So yeah, left hand is the actor. Right hand is the backstage. It's one of those things where like once you do it once, you kind of get into the flow of it. And you're like, okay, that didn't work, but this could work. So that one week of testing was super important. And honestly, after the first two times I did it, I was like, Janae, this isn't possible. We can't do this. (laughs) She was like, calm down. We can do this. (laughs) I remember after the game, you gave us a little peek behind the curtain and showed us, I think the dioramas are what's on the track or is it the camera that's on the track? The camera's on the track. Okay. And that's how you switch between the different scenes, right? So you're in one scene and then you'll play the cutaway, which is usually the little musical numbers. And then magic, we're in a new land. Right. Right. The camera moves on a track. We have two different stages, right? A lot of times we'll have like a short little video where I could just move the camera over to the other side and then I can hit play on the next side and we're ready to go. But if I have to change out both of the sets and put two new sets in, that's when we have the music. That's when we have the big actual singing music songs. How many sets do you have total? Six sets total. You're switching between six sets. Wow. Yeah, six sets. <laughs> I really loved that you did this post-game, behind-the-scenes look for the players. And it's pretty unusual. Most people don't want to give away all of their secrets. So what brought that about? Do you do that for everybody? or We do it for everyone. It's mostly because I love seeing the behind-the-scenes. I love to see how things work. And I understand when companies are like, no, we don't want to share our secrets. And they're like, okay, that's perfectly fine. But I love seeing how the cogs turn. And so I figured... A lot of people would probably also like to see that. But a lot of people probably don't understand or see, oh, that looks really simple or you're just moving a camera around to different sets. But when you have a very limited space, you have to get creative with it. So I figured people would just like to see it. You mentioned the puppet is always on your left hand, which I think is a really brilliant design because of the way that it allows your hand to still function as a hand while also being a character. I know that Barnaby Dixon was a huge influence on your work. Can you tell us about who he is and how he influenced the design of the puppets in this world? Yeah. So Barnaby Dixon, we honestly hadn't heard of him until we were doing a lot of research for this game, mostly because I have never done puppeteering before this. We had this idea in our mind, but we weren't really sure what we wanted it to look like. Barnaby Dixon does all of these hand puppets, but really they're not hand puppets. They're like finger puppets. And they are these incredible miniature contraptions. They're like little bitty machines on his fingers. And the way that they move, it's so realistic. And also just like in this fantasy world, 
you have to look him up if you don't know who his he YouTube is. His YouTube channel is incredible. It's amazing. It is so neat. And he's done a lot of work. There was a, some sort of play that he helped on that used a lot of like paper puppets and things on stage. He also helped with the latest Dark Crystal that was on Netflix a few years ago. There's like a little thing in there where they have a montage story about the sword or something like that. And he basically did all the puppeteering for that. He was such a big inspiration and maybe I can tag him in this after this comes out and he might play the game, which would be amazing. We'll tweet at him maybe. See if we can uh, get some attention because I feel like from seeing his stuff, I feel like he would really appreciate what you've done. I hope so. But also what we're doing is not even near the scale of what he does. But I think the way that he built his things, because he uses both of his hands for these little bitty puppets and the way that they operate is incredible. But that had us thinking like okay, we need to have a different route and different way of thinking for these puppets because you can't really have your fingers walking on you know, two fingers, moving things around. Your hand has to work as a hand. So luckily, I stumbled upon this thing to 3D print that was basically like an exoskeleton type thing that was designed to basically just punch stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it and I was like, okay, that can work perfectly. So I printed it out and Janae worked her magic and made this awesome dragon head thing And we were like, okay, it can't just be an animal. We're just going to make something up because the whole game is weird. So why not this? I have a major affinity for puppets. I grew up with this puppet theater that my grandfather had built for my mom and her sister. And my brother and I ended up with it. So we had all these antique puppets. Later on, when I consulted on the pilot episode for the TV series, Create the Escape, which had kids designing escape rooms for their parents and families to play. I was very insistent on use of puppets in that experience. Yeah. I am such a huge fan of it. They do show up in some escape rooms, but it's definitely not the norm. And I think there's a lot more opportunity. And I think you really did a wonderful job of demonstrating the opportunity that exists there. Thank you. Thank you. David and I had just recorded a bonus episode where we talked about different elements that you should have in children's play. And a lot of the elements were all things that you would find in escape rooms, hunting and gathering and being able to have secret spaces and paths Mm -hmm. and maps and animal allies. And that was the one thing that struck both of us. We were like every other thing that I had mentioned in this list of recommended things for children's play areas are usually found in escape rooms, but animal allies, that was one of them. And I was like, this needs to also be a requirement in escape rooms, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Part of why the puppets are so much fun. Yeah. I think we just found the missing link for the whole medium. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. We have some actual brick and mortar escape room mock-ups of using puppets as a clue system or having puppets as part of the storyline. Yeah. And I know that they're out there, but in a very different way, we yeah, we have some mock-ups, some ideas. I hope it's the next evolution because we go from walkie talkies, which is me talking to like this brick of plastic to voice of God, which I do appreciate better, mostly because I can hear it Mm -hmm. and understand it a little bit better. But if instead of voice of God, it's now coming from an animal ally, how much better is that? It's so much fun. And I get why owners don't do it because it's so much more work. Part of me is like, okay, the dream would be to have a fully automated room where it just resets itself. And that would be amazing. You're doing what you have to do to help the teams and the room does the rest of it. And then the other part of me is like, okay, I want to be laying on my back with my hand up in the air like this. 
and have a puppet talk to this team as well. Another part of the charm of Keeper and the Fungus Among Us was the humor. This was a really funny escape room. And it's not that often we see comedy and humor in escape rooms. So we were wondering how much of the humor was built into the script and how much of it emerged through different playtests. I think it was about half and half, really. I have a very dry sense of humor. I'm very introverted most of the time. Janae is the exact opposite. And so we play off of each other pretty well in that aspect. She's a lot funnier than I am. But also, if one of the players says something really funny, I just say, I'm stealing that. (laughs) And then it just lives the rest of the time in the game. I like how Janae made the introvert be the game master. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little bit different because I'm not actually in front of the camera. Yeah, I don't know why. It just feels a little bit different. But yeah, there's one part in a set where you're talking to a bird and I say something like, this is just a generic bird that he doesn't want to be pigeonholed into anything. Um, Yeah, that was straight up stolen from someone. And I wish I could give them credit, but it was just too good to leave. That's a good line. It's funny every time. (laughs) You were just mentioning a little bit about the creative dynamic between you and Janae. And since I work with my wife, Lisa, on so many different things, I'm always fascinated about how couples who work together actually do it. How does your dynamic as a couple change between work and regular life? I think our best ideas are the ones that just come out of nowhere. We'll sit down and try to plan something for hours And sometimes we get something, sometimes we don't. A lot of times, inspiration is only like 5 or 10% of your process, right? But usually the way we work is she'll say something that I think is completely impossible to do. And then I keep saying that until I figure out a way to do it. That's usually our process. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty relatable. (laughs) At first, I'll say, no way. That's impossible. There's no possible way of doing this until I have a mock-up and a sketch-up and it's built. Resova is your all-in-one, all-inclusive software for bookings made specifically with escape rooms in mind. Incorporating community-driven features, it's designed to follow the guest journey. From selecting times to book, waiver management, integrated point-of-sale system, and follow-up emails. Resova is the ultimate online reservation software designed to elevate the guest experience, increase game master efficiency, drive sales, and improve operations. PG, what is fantastic about Resova is that they offer something for the owners, something for the guests, and something for the GMs. What does Resova offer the guests? As an escape room enthusiast, as a guest, what I care about in my guest experience is increased convenience. And Rosova can do that for you. First of all, they have full integration with Morty. That means that escape rooms can offer their booking times on Morty, and that's how I tend to use it the most. I want as few clicks as possible to get from me finding your escape room to me playing your escape room. And less clicks means it's easier to book. That means more revenue for you. I also like that it automates emails, reminding me of my bookings. It sends follow-up emails asking how it did, if I want to leave a review. It's just 
really useful and convenient for me as a guest. And that's what you want if you want guests to come back and play all of your other rooms. To learn more, get a free demo, and find out how easy Rizova can make your transition to their technology, head over to rizova.com rea, and be sure to use our link or drop our name, because as a thank you to Repod listeners, Rizova is offering up to $100 in Google AdWords when you sign up through our link. Details in the show notes. The Keeper and the Fungus Among Us was one of the great virtual escape rooms of the lockdown era, and one of the few great virtual escape rooms that you can still play because a lot of them have stopped running. So we were wondering, how has that business model changed for you over time? You know, as everything opened up, people are playing less and less games over Zoom. How has that affected your business? So obviously, bookings have dropped down quite a bit compared to how it was during the lockdown. but. Pretty much the entire life of the game has been enthusiasts. We have a rare new players here and there playing, but yeah, the overwhelming bulk of players are enthusiasts. And so you're not going to get every enthusiast either. Some enthusiasts just don't want to play online games. It doesn't matter how much it's recommended or anything like that. They just don't want to play them, which is understandable. But the model has changed a little bit for us because now we realize A lot of brick and mortar games will last years. It depends on if it's still making money, they'll keep it. But with us, now that it's basically only enthusiasts, we're learning that the life of this game is probably only more like a year and a half to two years if we're lucky, right? We're lucky that people are still booking this game. So we're thinking more than likely enthusiasts are going to come back and play a second game. So that's kind of what we're leaning towards right now is, okay, we just need to start getting games out there so that we have enthusiasts keep coming back to play. I know that if you make another one, I will be there, which (laughs) is why I'm curious to get some details. You recently announced a prequel to The Keeper and the Fungus Among Us, The Rise of the Fun Guy. Yeah. What can we expect from your next game? So we're hoping that we can capture all of that funny, jovial magic that you can get in that first game. Of course, it's going to be very difficult because people are going to be comparing it to the first one. But we're going to be having some new characters. This follows the life of the bad guy, the villain, actually, in The Keeper and the Fungus Among Us. His name is Paxilis. And this will be basically how Paxilis became evil. So yeah, you'll be going through his whole life. And I don't know how much more I want to give out yet. He wasn't evil. He was just misunderstood and lonely. Just misunderstood. Yeah. He just wanted friends. Can we expect the music to return? Absolutely. Actually, I would say more music, not quite as long as songs, but there's going to be more songs, more puppets, and the sets that we have planned are going to be really cool. We announced that it was going to be out sometime in the spring. We were vague on purpose because whenever you have a newborn, time doesn't matter anymore. And it's just out the window. Uh, so <laughs> I, I get it. Whenever you actually make this game and get it out there, I will be there to play. Excellent. I appreciate it. You had a number of different musical influences in the first game and some different styles, right? What were some of the different musical styles you had in Keeper of the Fungus Among Us? I mentioned Wolfpack earlier. They were a big inspiration. Yeah, so Wolfpack mainly got their start all on YouTube. And they are just a bunch of different funk artists 
rock artists, jazz artists that got together and make this awesome, amazing music. They were a big inspiration. Rocky Horror Picture Show, obviously a huge inspiration. I sat down whenever I was training to write the music for the villain, Paxillus. I went back and listened to basically every single villain song that I could possibly find. And I kept coming back to Rocky Horror Picture Show and Little Shop of Horrors. And those were huge inspirations. I was trying to figure out what Paxillus, what the character needed to be like. And Tim Curry was perfect. I was like, I can't be Tim Curry. No, no, one, can. no one can be Tim Curry. But I hope I got like just a little piece of Tim Curry in Paxillus. The name's Paxillus. I'm the Mushroom King. It's been a thousand years since I could sing. I'll tell you what my plans are, you won't believe your eyes. I put the fun in fun guy. You see, I release my little spores in a big flurry. You may want to run, but don't be in a hurry. You'll change into a mushroom, but you won't die. I put the fun in fun guy. There's like a bit of like a sweeping, gloating kind of vibe. Yeah, it's full of himself. Yeah, he's the most important thing in the room all the time. But also whenever we were doing... So what, as you play the game and you see these different sets, we have a short video that gives close-ups of things in that set in more detail, mostly because Janae works so hard on him and it looks incredible up close. So we wanted to kind of show that off. And so as we were going through the set, I was thinking like one of them is a tortoise forest. And I was like, okay, what does a funky tortoise sound like? And that's how I wrote the music. Usually started with the bass, the bass line, and got that laid down, added in the drums, added in some guitar, and that's what came out. So So what does a funky tortoise sound like? I was trying to think like, okay, it's obviously going to be like a little slow. I was picturing like a tortoise with sunglasses on. That's pretty much, <laughs> that's pretty much where it came from. <laughs> a lazy um, doobie brother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then like for the fight scene, the fungus fight scene, there's a song playing the entire time you're fighting the mushrooms. When I was a kid, I played a lot of Pokemon. And I was like, it's got to have this cool little rush to it, but also a little funky touch to it. And so, yeah, I just tried to think of what the set would sound like in a funky way. It's funny. I always, even as a kid, was amused by the music that would frequently be playing during battle in JRPGs. You know, this intense driving music while you're just like selecting words from <laughs> menus yeah, I think that's part of the magic behind what made your game so memorable was this sweeping soundscape that you created for it. And obviously you put a lot of thought into it. And for a lot of games, not only these virtual online escape games, but escape rooms in general, there's little to no thought for music. I've been in some rooms mm -hmm. where I'm like, there's no ambient background music at all. It's boring. It's not yeah. fun. David knows lately I've been editing our bonus episodes and I've been adding in a lot of music and even like for our Halloween, I put in some little bit creepy music when David was telling a slightly creepy story. And I was like, whoa, this made it like a hundred so much better. <laughs> it made his story a hundred times better. Yeah. yeah. It makes such a big difference. I'm always just astounded why escape rooms don't put a lot more thought into it. 
Yeah, definitely. I think it was especially important for us because it's difficult to make a virtual game immersive, right? And so we just try to do as much as we possibly could. And even when there's not music playing and you're just sitting there in the set, if you're in like a forest scene, there are birds tripping in the background. If there's a river in the set, there's a river water sounds. Mm. Oh, you added all of that in. Yeah, all of that is in as you're playing. And I don't, I'm not sure if how many people realize that's going on in the background or if it just feels natural that you're looking at this forest set and you can hear a forest. I don't know. But yeah, that's those little touches in it that... And also, we had a lot of time during the lockdowns. So... <laughs> <laughs> That makes I a mean, difference too. Nothing people, but time. <laughs> people notice, whether subconsciously or not, like one of the things I always notice is when they've made a door creak, when something opens, that's one of my favorite things. Yeah, exactly. It just brings everything together. In fact, there's a lot of funny YouTube videos of people taking scenes from Star Wars and taking the music out. And it, We're putting it's just, in like different music, like Benny Hill yeah. music or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's one of like Voldemort and Harry Potter fighting or hugging each other. And there's like romantic music in the background. <laughs> and like, oh, this really changes the feel of this, doesn't it? This is a much different movie. So with your new game, do you have a new inspiration or is it just what comes out of the characters and the script? It really is what comes out of the characters in the script. I've always loved funk music. I mean, going back to Stevie Wonder and some of the early like Aretha Franklin stuff, I used to play in jazz bands and funk bands and blues bands and country bands. Just gonna have all this inspiration from everywhere. So yeah, it's really whatever we think that character is going to resemble and what he's going to look like. And yeah, I think it all stems from that, what the story is. I want to change subjects want to solve a mystery that I have to imagine is brewing in the minds of our listeners. I introduced you as being from Norwich, England. You don't sound like you're from England. No, no, I'm not very British. And sometimes I think people are a little disappointed when they hop on and realize that I don't have a British accent. I have this weird Southern twang. Uh, No, I'm from Arkansas originally. My wife and I moved to the UK about five years ago, I think in 2018. So yeah, we've been here for almost five years now. What brought you to the UK? Janae is actually a dual citizen. She's both British and American. She has a lot of family here still. Her brother had moved here just a year before us. And also, we were just like, let's just go. Let's just see what happens. And that has kind of been the theme for the past few years of let's just try it and see what happens. What has been the biggest cultural shock for you as an American moving to England? I think it's the driving is probably a culture shock to me or more accurately driving your cart in the grocery store. Because I think in the South, especially people tend to be fairly nice to strangers. They typically smile at each other. Even if you don't know who they are, if you feel like you're in the way, you move out of the way. You generally try to be nice, even if it is a little fake sometimes. But yeah, here it's just, you get your cart, you go. Move along, mate. You're moving around. Yeah. <laughs> if you're standing in what some in front of what someone else needs, nope, they're not waiting for you. They're gonna reach right in front of you, grab it, and be on their way. Oh, so yeah, don't that, go was to a, China. that was a big <laughs> tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you mentioned your game, The Mystic Ruins, but you have another game on your website, The Pursuit for Redbeard's Treasure. How does one play those if they wanted to? So both of those are deliverable games. If you live in the UK and you would like to rent those out for a party or for a wedding or for whatever, there's a little box that you can fill in on our website. And there's a little questionnaire thing that will get to us and we'll respond back to you. Everything that we do with that is tailor-made to the situation. 
we literally pack it up into our car, bring it to your house or your work, and we set it up there. So those games are a lot of fun as well that hopefully we'll be getting a lot more of those once it gets a little bit warmer. I was going to ask, how often does that get booked? It's not something that we push super hard because... It seems like a lot of work. It is a lot of work, honestly. And also, Fungus is like 95% of our business, pretty much. And I think whenever it warms up outside and it starts to get you know summertime, people book the Fungus less. And then we have more of these bookings with Redbeard's Chest and all that. So yeah, it's kind of cyclical throughout the year as far as what people book. Makes sense. Do you have any plans to open a brick and mortar escape room like you were originally planning on? Uh, That is something that is, we don't have any concrete plans, but it is definitely something that we want to do in the future. We're hoping that we can possibly get the second fungus game out. And then after that, we'll probably be thinking about that a little bit more. But yeah, it's definitely on our radar. Joel, where can people find you on social media? You can find us on Facebook or Instagram, Headlock Escape Rooms. We're always loading loads of stuff on there. We have been talking about starting up a YouTube channel as well. That would be sort of like a 10 to 15 minute episode sort of a thing that would follow along the story of the Keeper and Fungus Among Us. Look for that there and hopefully we'll be putting out some of those episodes here pretty soon. Oh, that's exciting. Joel, thank you so much for joining us. Please say hi to Janae for us. We're sorry she couldn't join us. We really appreciate having you on. Thank you. I had such a great time. The Reality Escape Pod is produced by Lisa Spira. Music by Ryan Elder of ryaneldermusic.com. Edited by Steve Ewing of Stand Inside Media. And brought to you by roomescapeartist.com. Your home for well-researched, rational, and reasonably humorous escape room and immersive gaming content and events. When David and I dreamed up this podcast, we ran into one problem. The first rule of escape rooms is you can't really talk about escape rooms. We can't really talk about them in full detail because of spoilers. So our answer to that was creating the Spoilers Club. This is content that you get at the $15 level. We have invited creators on from iconic, well-known escape rooms to do a walkthrough and recap of their room. It's one of the only places I know of where these rooms are documented in full. We get a lot of really tasty behind the scenes tidbits from the creators. And a lot of our patrons have told us that this is some of their favorite content that we've produced. We also have higher tiers available for those who really believe in our work and want to help us achieve our dreams of being able to work full-time on Room Escape Artist and Repod. That really is what we're striving for here. We are trying to help elevate and support and nurture this community and this industry that we love so deeply. And our Patreon supporters are the key to unlocking that future for us. If you want to help us out, you can learn more at patreon.com slash roomescapeartist. Details are in the show notes. Check that out. You've reached the end of this podcast. I have to imagine that that means that you've enjoyed yourself. And if you did and you haven't done so already, I would really appreciate it if you gave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. This helps us in so many ways with 
increasing discoverability, and it doesn't cost a thing. If you like what we're doing, it's a really easy way to help us out. Thanks. Thank you to our highest level Patreon backers. Breakout Games, Derek Tam, Olivier Escape, Escapism, Escaparium, Panic Room, Byron Delmonico, Josh Rosenfeld, Paula Swan, Rex Miller, Scott Olson, and the Ministry of Peculiarities. Thank you all so much for your ongoing support. So this happened actually just a week or two ago. Your editor, Steve, was playing our game. And in the Keeper and the Fungus Among Us, we have an inventory that drops down. It's basically just like a board that's on a stick and it has a bunch of magnets on it that keeps all these little bitty pieces in there that you collect throughout the game. Sometimes it happens where I drop that thing a little bit too hard and one thing will fall off here and there and I'll just pick it up. Well, somehow in the very last set, this is at the very end of the game, there was a bunch of stuff on this board and I set it down a little bit too hard and everything fell off of the board. But as you're running this game, you can't just be like, oh, hang on just a second. Let me pick up all this stuff because it went everywhere. It went under things and we're in our garage. There's lots of things where this stuff can hide. And so everyone on Steve's team was like, is everything okay? What's going on? I was like, oh yeah, um, everything just fell into the abyss. Things are not going well here. I was just <laughs> like fumbling around myself. By the time I got everything back on the board, I was like out of breath. I was like, I was like, like running around. I was like breaking a sweat because it was a nightmare. 